You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... So would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the words of Jesus. For they are the words of eternal life. When they challenge us, Lord, may we come to a right understanding of them that we may grow more and more and be conformed to His image, which is the image of self-sacrificing love. Indeed, the image of our Father who is unseen. And this we ask in His precious name. Amen. So today we have two healings by Jesus in the Gospels, and I am going to be focusing more on the first one, and here's why. The second one fits the pattern we expect. Laying on of hands is a good Jewish practice, and people bringing their friends and loved ones to Jesus for healing is something we expect. But what happens with this first woman, the Syrophoenician woman, is striking and surprising. And in a culture like ours, where we have trigger warnings and people have confused love with affirmation, where we're so pampered and privileged that unlike most people throughout history, we're not afraid of being beaten up or insulted openly by others, but we search for microaggressions in the things people say. His words are going to especially seem harsh and maybe even uncaring or unfeeling. But all is not as it would appear to the casual reader. So we're going to drill down a little bit on what happens in the first part of our Gospel reading. The first thing for you to know is that the Gospel of Mark, it's very clear, was written for a Gentile audience. This was not for a group of Jewish Christians, but for a group of non-Jewish Christians who first heard these words. So Mark's inclusion of them in the story would have been just as offensive to them as it was to us. So he must have included it for a very good reason. Now Jesus is traveling, we're told at the beginning of this this section of Scripture, through the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now what you need to know about this area is that it it is not only a Gentile region, It's a version of the paganism that is on offer for worship there is aggressively anti-Jewish. This is where Jezebel came from, who not only had her prophets challenge the prophet Elijah, but when he beat her prophets, chased him down with the army trying to kill him. This is the region that prophets like Ezekiel and Zechariah preached against what was going on there. Now, while Jesus seeks to avoid attention, and he appears to have gone to a Jewish home, because there are Jews living throughout the region, 
One of the Gentile women, one of the worshippers of foreign gods, recognizes him and apparently having heard about the miracles that he's been doing down south and away amongst the Jews, has come to see if there's something that a, a Gentile, a favor a Gentile could get from this Jewish prophet and rabbi. He has inspired hope in her and she acts upon that hope stretching out herself, taking risks, approaching a Jewish home to speak to a Jewish prophet. And Jesus greets her with these words that so horrify us. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now the word dog here, some, people, some commentators have said that it's kind of a pet name, almost like you use for a, a friendly household pet, but it's still a diminutive. It still contrasts the Jews for whom Jesus came with those who are outside of his attention right now. And while we know that in the fullness of time, the Gentiles are all to be included in God's saving activity, as we know from the book of Acts, that time has not yet come. And Jesus' answer reflects a priority upon the Jewish people at this time. Now the priority is to reach them and restore them to the vocation as God's chosen people. Now, when you say that somebody has got, in, in the ancient Jewish world, to be God's chosen people was not a position of privilege. It, they weren't chosen because God likes them better and certainly not because they were more faithful. But rather... They are chosen to reveal the character of the true God out to the world. Think about the stories you know. Maybe you know some Greek or Roman mythology. Maybe you know a little bit of ancient Babylonian or Egyptian mythology. Think about the religions that surrounded Judaism. Your interaction with the gods was fear and trembling because if they got involved in your life, it usually meant you were out of luck. Worship of the ancient gods involved paying them off, as, almost like you would a corrupt politician. Please stay out of my business. Or, please give me a few favors. This is why, without blushing, St. Paul could say that these were actually fallen angels and demons that they were worshiping. But the Jews had the responsibility to shine out to the world, to show to the world God's character. That's why they were to be a light to the Gentiles. The laws that God gave were not because He just likes to put out lots of rules. They were all to benefit the people. And if you lived according to those rules, everyone did better. It was only in the ancient Jewish world that non-citizens of the Jewish world Empire, we could call it fairly, were to be treated as equals to the citizens. That's a completely foreign concept anywhere else in the world. And that's why Judaism and the Christianity that came later and was built upon it forms the basis of our modern concepts of equality. It's the part of the foundation of the Western world and due to our entertainment media, Western culture has been taken worldwide at this point. Sometimes for better and sometimes for worse.
Now, Jesus' words are sharp, and we can't take that away. But there are a couple of things we have to remember as he said, says them. First of all, Jesus has already demonstrated that he knows a person's heart before he speaks to them. And what Jesus appears to be doing here is prompting the woman by being contentious, almost like a good drill sergeant. If you, uh, I like guy movies. I watch them when my wife's out of town. In the, in the average guy movie, you know who the hero of the movie is? It's the drill sergeant who gives absolute heck to the young soldier but makes the young soldier achieve and grow more than he ever could without that prompting, without that, that discipline. Or, and the Oxford Dictionary defines the devil's advocate as basically someone who's on the right side but a person who expresses a contentious opinion in order to provoke debate or test the strength of the opposing arguments. And Jesus has already demonstrated a willingness to do this. Do you remember the rich young man who came to Jesus and said to him, I've kept all the law since my youth. What else do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus looks at his heart and says, Oh, you've kept the law, have you? We'll sell everything you've got and come follow me. In his keeping of the law, he had not yet given his heart to God. And Jesus saw this, and by his pressing upon him, made the young man aware of it too. This seems to be what he's doing with this woman. Because Jesus is prompting her through these harsh words to an ever greater expression of faith, challenging her to gamble everything on him. See, despite addressing her as a dog... The word is canarion in the Greek. Even that nice little sort of pet name version of it. The woman, in her response to Jesus, uses Jesus' own words in her response. And she says this, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't file a grievance. She doesn't respond with a snappy irony that seems to be so in fashion in our culture at this moment. But instead, she acknowledges his words and still seeks in faith to receive the blessing that she believes only he can give. In fact, in fact, She's the first person to call Jesus Lord. It's not a good Jew who received the miracle. It's none of the apostles. She is the first person, this Gentile who worships other gods, to call Jesus Lord. It's, a, it's an amazing moment. Recently, um, someone asked me, is, is everyone really welcome at your church? And I responded, absolutely, yes. I would fight anyone who wanted to keep any kind of person out of our pews. I forgot to say this in the first service. At the church I served in Michigan, it was a very, very, very rich, very, very upscale church. And we had a woman 
who came there who looked like a bag lady and never bathed. You could tell where she was sitting because there was just like several open pews around her. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you drive to church. I don't care what you smell like. You have a right to be in these pews and receive the word of God. But no one, no one is welcome in our pews on their own terms. All of us come here as equals at the foot of the cross, espousing a far, far more denigrating word as our title than dog. We are sinners. We have, assessed, we, have, we have accepted Jesus' assessment of us as sinners in need of salvation. And let me be clear what it means to be a sinner. And I'll keep saying this till we really have it in our heads and our hearts. To be a sinner means that, not that you sin. So you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's like being an alcoholic. You may be more or less in recovery, but you're never going to not have that as part of who you are. And we have to accept that. Just like this woman had to accept Jesus' assessment of her, we have to accept that assessment before we can truly look at God in Jesus Christ and call Him Lord and mean it. We do not come here to be affirmed. We come here to be redeemed. To receive even harsh words when they are offered in love. And it's only when we accept that unflattering assessment of God and Jesus Christ as to what we are that we can really accept Jesus as our Lord. Trusting that He knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves in this regard as in every other. But here's what's truly amazing about that. When we accept Jesus' assessment of ourselves in that way, humility and accepting God's assessment of us rather than our own, that is the only possible foundation of a Christian witness that is not arrogant and is not self-righteous. And only a Christian witness that is not arrogant or self-righteous can ultimately hope to conquer the world one heart at a time. And true humility is very hard to find. But it's amazing how God can use a truly humble person. I hope you all know who Booker T. Washington was. Amazing black scholar and writer and educator. It was shortly after he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama that he was walking through a very exclusive, very white section of Jim Crow South in his town when a woman saw him, a rich white woman there, saw him, and what she saw was just a black man walking down her street, and she thought, hey, maybe he needs some work. From her perspective, she was probably being very kind. And she said, hey, you want to earn some money? Come chop my firewood and stack it by the fireplace. Now, Dr. Washington was already very famous by this point. But you know what he did? He rolled up his sleeves. He went and took the axe. He chopped her wood. He stacked it by her fireplace. And it was only after he left the house and continued on his way that her servant girl says, 
Do you know who that was? You can imagine what happened the next day. She presented herself at his office and she was all apologies and I just can't believe I did that and I'm so embarrassed and all this kind of stuff and you got to hear his words. He said, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, and here's grace, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. What could have been a moment of deep offense became a moment of bridge building. And that woman returned to her very rich neighborhood and found lots of people to come and give a lot of money to the Tuskegee Institute. The Lord can best use us when we are truly humble, when we have truly accepted His assessment of us, and we know, as Dr. Martin Luther said, that we are but beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners in need of redemption. And then He can really use us for His glory and the salvation of the world. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, like the Syrophoenician woman in our Gospel reading, like the original hearers of this Gospel, Jesus' words often offend and cut our legs out from us and take away everything we think is valuable about us. But it is only so that we can receive what we would not otherwise receive at His hands. The salvation by grace through faith that comes alone through Him. May we graciously receive the gift of His words. May we lean into the identity we have as redeemed and chosen children and welcome all those into our pews who are completely unlike us because they are like us in that regard. That your healing power may go forth. That you may be glorified and your church built. And this we ask in the precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sleeping, my presence, my love.